Good morning, everybody. So, in response, you're probably waiting for my response. Here it is. So, Pastor Stan challenged you all to come to the Bible study to, um, so that he can offer a little correction of the mistakes I make. So, Pastor Stan, I, I was inspired, so I printed out a resource for you that I put together. This is 16 pages of notes, parallel text, exegesis using Greek and English. Um, no Hebrew on this one, I apologize. The good news, though, is there are actually 26 different citations that I did in here um, using eight different commentaries. And just so you know, you were wondering, it's an APA. So don't worry, it's all legit. If you handed this to a professor, you'd be okay. So I'm going to give this right to you. This is my gift, special gift from me to you. Turn the mic on. Right. Thank you. I do appreciate this. He doesn't needed, know what to do with it. I needed my notes for this evening's Bible study, so thank you. And what I forgot to mention, we're only doing four verses in the text today. That's got 12. So you got a whole night. It's good. You can, you can be here through the Super Bowl. No one cares about the Super Bowl. The Patriots let us down. Like, they're not in it. Jimmy Garoppolo's not a Patriot. So all, all of us surrogates who are like, well, I feel like it's the Patriots game because Jimmy G's in there. No, they traded Jimmy G for nothing. It is what it is. Let the Bible study go through the game. No one cares about the game. I'm only joking. So, I do encourage you to, if you have your Bible, um, please grab your Bible. I always love, I left my Bible at a, a Leland concert a couple weeks ago, and we've been desperately uh, mailing that church, saying, oh, can we pick it up? So we're trying to get that. But bring your Bible to church. Um, I will tell you that there are notes in your bulletin. I encourage you to take those out. Um, note takers are history makers. You know, sometimes we hear something in a message and we're like, oh, I wish I could have written that down. You have an awesome opportunity to uh, grab a pen, grab a pencil, um, go into your notes on, on your um, phone, anything you want to do, but we'll open up the scripture together. We're going to read the scripture as we actually go through the message this morning, but again, note takers are history shakers. So we begin our, well, we continue our 2020 vision series. Um, and you know, this is, we've done this for a couple weeks, we did this for all of January, and we're really coming into the new year looking at what's God's vision for my life. Not my vision. You know, if, if you think of David's vision, we drive down the street and you look over, and there's, there's Wendy's. And for some random reason, my name is up in lights above it. It says, David Cushing is amazing. And then you walk down the street, and there's people with David is the man shirts on. And you're like, what's going on? Well, that's my, no, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to have our vision for life about how we can control and change everything so that if only people didn't do this, then I would feel better. That's not what starting the new year is about. It's about accepting the things that I can't change and going with it and allowing God's vision for my life to transform my life and allowing the truth of the Scripture to really permeate what I say and do. And that goes for each of us. That is why, and we're going to throw this graphic up on the screen. You may follow us on social media. You've heard us talk about this. We have our three, two, one, go. Pray for three, invite two, and bring one. And today, we're really going to focus on that bring one and what it means to be a bringer. You know, the first time that I heard the phrase, be a bringer, that I can remember, 
And I'll talk about this a little more a little later on. Laura and I were about a year ago for Palm Sunday out in Ohio at a church, and the pastor kept saying, you know, be a bringer, be a bringer. And so I got thinking about it, and that's our title of today's message, Be a Bringer. What does it mean to be a person who brings, to be a bringer? And I thought of, you know, a a couple weeks ago, I went to a National Honor Society induction, and there's a great guy here, Bruce. Bruce is going to wave his hand at me. Hi, Bruce. We love you, Bruce. Hey, man. Love you, brother. So Bruce was a bringer, and he brought myself, he brought uh, Sue Riley, um, he brought some family, he brought Josh Barut, he brought all these people, and we were celebrating his great son, Mickey, who we're so proud of, we love. We're so excited because Mickey got in the National Honor Society, which is amazing. Unbelievable. And by Bruce making sure that we were all there, that's really showing, hey, son, we love you, we care about you, we're so appreciative of all the amazing things God's doing in your life. And imagine how validating it was when Mickey sees us all there and he's like, wow, I got my team, I got my crew. We don't just get to do that for Mickey, we get to do that for Jesus. And that is why we are bringers. It's not because there's some weird guilt of, oh, I feel like I feel bad if I don't bring someone to church. Then don't bring someone to church. That's not the point. If you feel bad, Christ is very clear in the scripture. If you just feel weird about doing something and you just feel like you have to do it, don't do it. It's all a heart thing. So if you feel called to be a bringer, which each of us are called by Christ, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's our three, two, one, go. If you feel called to be a bringer, then be a bringer. But it's not simply manipulating someone to church. I will tell you that if we think this is going to be a how-to guide of what snacks to have in my car to entice my friends so that they want to ride in my car to church, make sure that I'm on the right podcast or make sure I'm on the right radio station, have them come in, make sure that we do the right thing at church so that they're tricked in. That's not the point either. The whole idea is embracing a mindset shift and really understanding what it means to bring Christ to others and to break down the barriers. The barriers exist. There are so many barriers, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. There's so many barriers to prevent our non-believing friends from entering the church. So maybe we got to bring Christ to them because the church is not the building. The church is not an institution. The church is the people. Look around real quick. See all these people? You can see all these people in worship. You can also see them in Market Basket, and we are still the church. Scripture clearly says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. We, when we are together, are the church. So let's talk about this a little more. The barrier is never the actual act of bringing. When we're trying to evangelize, when we're trying to bring people with us, when we're trying to bring Christ to people, the barrier is never actually bringing people. It's all the head stuff. It's, we're going to talk about that more because I had a dear friend and mentor named Simon. He was the pastor of a church that Laura and I were involved with in college in Ohio. And he said, you know, David, spiritual problems have spiritual solutions. They don't have these like manipulative how-to solutions. If we want to get other people excited about church and Jesus, if we want to bring Christ to people, we don't need a, a worldly solution. We need a spiritual solution. And again, the point is not to have some amazing multi-step method. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do it alone. Being a disciple 
means that each of us is not alone, we have each other. Jesus calls us into discipleship and knows that life is so much better when we don't go alone. He didn't. He had the disciples. He didn't have to have disciples. No one mandated and said, Jesus, for you, in order for you to have a ministry, you have to have people with you. He understood that ministry and life is so much better together than separate. Let me give a really simple, silly but simple example of why. There's this really cool survivalist, Ash Dykes. I'm a giant fan. Um, and I'm not at all condemning what he's doing. I'm using him as an example of how sometimes we live our spiritual life like his journey from one end of Mongolia to the other. So he wanted to go on an expedition just himself. And you see him there. Um, he's from Wales. He's really great. Um, and you'll notice that he's got a sled. He's got all sorts of things he carries. And he went from one end of Mongolia to the other without anyone helping him. He wanted the world record. He sort of got it. But the problem is, is that he had to go through the Gobi Desert with sandstorms, and he talks about how there were multiple points where he nearly died, and he shows up half dead to villages, and they have to basically bring him back to life. We too often think that that is what it means to be a Christian. That's not. That's a really cool feat of survivalism, and that guy is really cool. I'd, I'd love to have lunch with him. But that's not what it means to be a disciple and to be a Christian. We don't have to go on our own through the Gobi Desert. And so often we think that we do. So I want to ask you this question and give you a moment and you can write it down or think about it. Who is someone I would like to bring to know Jesus? We all have someone. We all have that person in our life who we, we know someone who needs, who needs Jesus we know someone who, who, who needs a faith community, and we know someone who would be willing to come with us, whether it's to church or to a faith group or to our Super Bowl party today with some of our Christian friends from church to get to know them. We all have that person. So I just want you to identify that for a moment. Who is someone I would like to bring to know Jesus? Let's pray. You know, Father God, we thank you so much for all the amazing things you're doing in our lives, in our in our community, we can be so focused on all the negatives, but you are moving and doing amazing things. We're so appreciative, humbled, and grateful, and just continue to open us up to give us ears to hear, to, to really be knowledgeable of, of the fact that we need to be open to what you are saying in the scripture and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, this is not an in-depth series that we've gone through of the Gospel of Mark. So I want to give a little previously on like it's a TV show. Do we have uh, Netflix and Hulu and, and people that watch shows, right? So you all know what a previously on is. I don't have to explain that. So I'm going to give you the previously on before this story. Right before this happens, and we'll get in what happens today. Right before, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 1, and Jesus heals a person with leprosy. Amazing. Unbelievable. And he says, okay, you're healed, tell no one. So what does this guy do? Tells everybody. And what happens when people find out that there's a guy that heals leprosy? He becomes a huge deal. Everybody freaks out in a positive way. They're all excited. Jesus is a household name. Everyone is so wow. And he can't move. He gets so mobbed in towns to the point where he literally has to do this. He has to hide out in desolate places. 
There's a Greek word there. The um, New Testament is originally written in Greek, so it's not originally written in English. There's a Greek word. It, um, that word is eremos, and it means desert or wilderness. So Jesus literally has to basically go out on the lamb, like in a John Wayne movie, in the desert to get away from all the, the masses and people so excited. And things sort of calm down for a moment. And then he returns, and then this happens. And we'll throw the words right on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible as well. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Jesus is home. So at some point, Jesus moved his family from Nazareth and adopted that Capernaum is going to kind of be the home base. We don't know if this was Jesus' house or their house or Peter's house. There's a lot of different academic thought. It could be one of those. The point is this is kind of headquarters. And now there were ancient laws of hospitality that came into effect. In the ancient world, what people had to do is extend the right of hospitality by law and custom, because it's a desert society, so it's a very sacred tradition. So everyone now feels like Jesus has to welcome them and play host. So I want you to think for a moment. Imagine what it would be like if the entire town of Plymouth showed up at your house and expected you to host them for the Super Bowl today. Think about it for a moment. In the midst of all that commotion, because that's what it would be like, where Jesus was teaching, an organized group, so there's, there's pandemonium, an organized group comes together, seemingly out of nowhere, and they do something really amazing. Let's look at the next verse. They came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. I want to use the word squad. So squad has the etymology, comes from the idea of kind of a military tradition, where you would have squads of people with different roles, um, and one person would do this, one person would do this, and they'd all work together. However, aren't we so appreciative of the internet? Because the internet gives us memes, and it gives us hashtags. And in 2015, squad was no longer a group of people in a military situation. Who's familiar with hashtag squad or hashtag uh, squad goals? Anybody? All right, there we go. So, the idea of a squad is your people. So it's, it's the guys or the ladies, the people that you're really comfortable with, and this is your crew. So what I want to suggest today, I want to suggest that this idea of a squad is a really positive thing, and the squad is something that I think really is something we can embrace. A group of Christian believers who are our people that we can rely on, that they rely on us, we rely on them. Yes, we all rely on Jesus, but we have this group of people to support us. And that is what you see in the middle of this crowd. This crowd wants to be bringers to bring the paralytic man to Christ, to Jesus. And here's what they have to do. And this is the first thing we have to do. Make sure I have a squad. The church exists in order to be your squad, whether you're in a good time or desperate time. I think of 9-11 when people were just looking for answers, searching for meaning, and we just didn't know what was going on. But people understood that you can count on the church. You can turn to the people of God 
in difficult times. And so I think of Michael W. Smith's worship album that came out coincidentally on September 11th, 2001, and became such an amazing source of hope and inspiration for millions in our country. Just simple songs. It's not even like the songs on there were, we're not talking Bob Dylan here. They're just simple songs, draw me close to you. But the idea of being able to really rely on Jesus and rely on the church was just so comforting to people. Because when we are in times of need, we need to have that squad. And the people of the church are the church. We often think that the church is a building, an institution. It's not. The church is the people. Everybody look around for a moment. That's the church, and that's our squad. In the text, the paralytic is able to count on his friends to bring him to Jesus. Remember, again, I'll say this a bunch, the church is not a building. The church is not an institution. Buildings let us down. Institutions let us down. That is not what the church is. You can count on the church because the church is a squad of believers. We have a, a churchy word, disciples. The church is a squad of disciples united by a love for Christ. You know, as I mentioned, because we all have times where we can think of those of us who really have these wonderful times in our life where we can really identify with, you know, the church was there for me. I want to share a story. So about a year ago, I mentioned that Laura and I were in Ohio for Palm Sunday, and we were there for the passing of her dad. So on Palm Sunday in the morning, we found out that he had passed away in the, the night before. Um, and so we were like, okay, what do we do? We didn't really have somewhere we needed to be at that point. So we were like, well, let's go to church. So we went to this church, Vineyard Columbus. And the service was amazing. It was awesome, wonderful. Talk to me about it sometime. We all have these stories, many of us do, where the church has really inspired us. There's been a really moving church service. We're like, wow, that's exactly what I needed. But it ended. And then we're like, okay, what do we do with the rest of our afternoon? Went out to lunch, went to like a mall, and then we thought, you know, let's go to church again. Now at the time, I was 29. I had a crisis about turning 30, but I was a young adult. So we found a young adult service that met at the church. So we're like, oh, we should go to that. Perfect. Um, interestingly, that idea of we can count on the church, watch what happened. We show up, and the service begins with a testimony of a young woman talking about dealing with the loss of her dad. Okay, so we're like, interesting coincidence. Wow, that was, that was nice. Then the, the message is on Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven, new earth. There was no more sea, chaos, disorder, new Jerusalem, all that. And we're like, okay, interesting. This is a, a common kind of dealing with loss passage. Okay, wow. And then the service ended with the pastor talking about dealing with the death of his father. The church, even though they didn't know it, they were there for us because we can count on the church. We can count on the people of the church. God works through the people of the church. The scripture says that the gates of hell cannot stand against the people of the church. The gates of hell cannot overcome. And we, we had that great moment. It's important to be a bringer because we can count on the people of the church. Look at our mission statement. The mission of Faith Community Church is to de develop a community of disciples united by a love for Christ. Disciples, by definition, 
make more disciples, and they work together. They are a squad. I'm really fortunate because I work two different careers. I have work in the school, and I have work at the church. And I often get to go to trainings that really are great, and they apply to both. So I was at a behavioral symposium in December, which doesn't that sound fun? I loved it, but you'll be like, that sounds boring. Um, so the idea was like when a child is kind of in crisis in a classroom or really uh, lashing out with difficult behaviors, what do we do? And so it was all these different ways to manage it and different speakers and whatever. One of the big ideas that I got from that, which I totally agree with and applies to life, the best interventions or the best ways to help are team-based, they're not individual-based. If I had to try to do something on my own as Mr. Cushing, it's going to be kind of eh. If I work together with a group and with my other um, peers and we're all on the same page, we're able to do amazing things together because we're a squad. The same thing happens in the church and the same thing happens in life. Each of us matters to our squad. This is our squad. The church is the people. And we have smaller squads we can be part of. There are different ways to get involved in the church. And we don't say this because we're desperate for volunteers or, or anything like that. We know that being part of a group of people with a shared vision can be so helpful in those times of need. I am so often humbled um, by just how amazing you guys are, how amazing the people of this church are in times that are difficult. It's not just you get together and send flowers and you're done. I see when people are going through times of crisis, there are visits, there are, um, there are rides given, there's meals made, there's just time to talk and cry and laugh and, and get together. I see how amazing the people of God's church are when we work together and when we really support each other. That's why we have all the faith groups that we have that whole handout. There's 22 of them right now, not because we need you to be in one, but because we understand that as believers, if we get together and we have our squad and we have our group, we're able to really lean on each other in times that are difficult. And I want you to ask yourself this question, and I'll ask myself too. Do I have a squad at FCC, or am I just part of the crowd? And it's kind of a heart check moment. There's, there's no judgment or condemnation or anything if I'm just part of the crowd. But maybe today, God is calling me to say, you know what, I really want to get plugged in. I want to get involved. I want to have those people that I can really rely on in times of need. In Mark chapter 2, I want to point this out. The squad isn't just the four people who bring um, the paralytic to Jesus. Immediately, the paralytic is part of the squad. He's immediately part of He's not separate. It's not some missional opportunity that they're like, oh, isn't this good? We feel good because we help this person. He's immediately one of them, and it's very clear that they come in together as a group. The, the, the text makes no difference between the people bringing this man and the man. He is part of them. He is part of the group. The problem is that even with our squad, though, it's so easy to get intimidated by all the things around us. It's so easy to become a middle schooler in our mentality, and worry about either what everyone else is doing or worry that everyone else is thinking about us. Even though everyone else is worrying about that too. Today's passage shows that the paralytic and his friends encounter the same problem. 
if you look at the next verse, verse 4a, they could not get near him because of the crowd. But there was a solution for the paralytic and his friends, and it's the same solution we have today in 2020. Work with my squad to ignore the crowd. Now, from here, in, in the text, crowd comes from the Greek word oklos. Oklos means a casual collection of people. How easy is it for us in the age of social media shares, Facebook challenges, Instagram influencers to over-identify with a casual collection of people? We just start to, it's not like the crowd is unified. They're all kind of doing their thing on social media and great, that post got 800 likes. Okay. I mean, if you, I've always wondered, I wish there was a way to see what people liked after they liked a post. So like, if 800 people like this, what's the next thing? So if they all like Pastor Stan's posts about blank, and then they like, um, I, I don't know, cat food, right? It's just, it would be interesting to know next, because s- crowds are just casual collections of people. The brave group in the text has to deal with the crowd. It's not a united adversary or anything like that. In the accounts of the four Gospels, we see that the crowds encountered by Jesus are kind of fickle. They don't turn to him in mass. They don't repent as a crowd. Individuals do, but the crowd doesn't. They're passive. They're fickle. And they resort to being a casual collection of people. Consider, um, and, and we see the passing of, of different celebrities, whether now or years ago or whenever, look at the way the internet reacts to the death of a celebrity. And this is crowd behavior. Someone finds out something happened. More people find out. People gather. People get emotional. More people join in. No one wants to miss out. An amount of time goes by, and it could be long or short. Someone finds that something else happened, and the cycle continues. That's not bad. It's just, that's just kind of how crowds are. Crowds just are a casual collection of people that move in different directions. Just like in Jesus' day, Crowds, whether in person or online, are passive, fickle, and not unified. And that's the exact opposite of a squad. If you look at the squad of, believer, of, of us as believers or the squad that brings the paralytic to Jesus, they're active, not passive, Christ-centered, not fickle, and they're unified. In our lives, the crowd is always lurking, always. And it's not generally antagonistic or or awful, but it can get into, in the way of each of us living a Christ-centered life because we let it. The crowd doesn't have an agenda against us. We just, we get distracted by the crowd. You know, I think of my dad, and my dad, when I was growing up, said, you know, David, put your fingers by your two ears. The weakest muscle in your body is between the two ears in that six inches. And we can just start to overthink. We can start to just really let the crowd get in our head. But I think of the lesson of Kendrick Perkins. Um, Kendrick Perkins was a basketball player for the Celtics, um, especially in um, the era when they won the most recent championship. And Kendrick Perkins, all the way on the the right, um, was not the fastest player. He could not really shoot. He couldn't really jump. He wasn't that tall for a center. He was kind of big and not necessarily in a super, super muscular way. And according to the crowd, he was a mediocre basketball player. But to Doc Rivers and to the Celtics and to Ubuntu, to that squad idea, 
He was an all-star, and he was amazing, and he was a champion. And we're the same way. We, we, we start to think that, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm, well, they couldn't accept me at church because if they ever found out what I did at home, like, oh, that would be the end of it. They, they, would, they would not want, no, that we all have different ways that we fall short. Scripture is very clear that we all should fall short of the glory of God. That's totally understandable. But we're still called to be part of that squad. And we don't have to be experts. I think of another fun example. There was a group um, that conducted a study about teams and culture, and so they decided to have four different groups of people build towers out of spaghetti um, and marshmallows. And there were four different groups, and they made sure that it was a controlled environment. It was a whole study. And so they made sure that there was the same number of people in each group. They had the same exact materials in the same exact time. And they had four groups of really professional, really great people. Here's who they had. They had a group of doctors. They had a group of lawyers. They had a group of CEOs. And they had a group of kindergartners. <laughs> and so all of them were given the same thing. And it was interesting to watch the ways different groups work together. The doctors and lawyers and CEOs had degrees, and they designated someone in charge, and they kind of read the room, and they were like, oh, you should be in charge because look how brilliant you are, your leadership, and you've read these books and whatever. The kindergartners picked their nose, spit on the ground. I think one of them bit another kid. Uh, they broke a bunch of the spaghetti pieces, but they just kept kind of bumping into each other, and at the end, the kindergartner's tower was way higher than the groups of professionals because we don't have to be the best. The, the crowd says that we got to measure up, right? Social media does that kind of thing. We have all these things on Instagram with these influencers, which I'm not condemning, but these influencers make us think we got to be this certain way. But that's not what our squad needs. Our squad just needs us to work together, make mistakes, be in fellowship with each other, be buddies, apologize, take some responsibility and move on, and that's all we have to do in our squad. We don't have to be a squad of CEOs, but we can at least in this room all be kindergartners. The biggest obstacle to being a bringer is being unwilling or unable to work with our squad because we can't ignore that crowd. And there are other challenges, sure. But... The group bringing the paralytic to Jesus worked together and ignored the crowd. They still faced a barrier. There still was something that they had to do, be, have accomplished. However, all the hard work had been done. They were together and united even in the midst of a chaotic crowd. They simply had a roof problem. Let's look at our next verse. They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. First century roof in Capernaum did not look like that. It was like you have a beam, you have another beam, you have a beam over there, you have a cross beam. I'm, I'm not a carpenter, so if I use the wrong term, I apologize. But you have beam here, beam there, okay, beam there. Now you got some straw. Now you got some mud. Now maybe you got a little more straw. And you got a roof. Congratulations. Hope you like bugs. But <laughs> here's the thing. That's not really that bad of a barrier if you've got a team of people, that if you have one person trying to break through the roof, I mean, forget it, that's going to be a day's work. But if you've got this team working together, that's solvable. It's, it's just a little mud and a little bit of insects. Who cares? 
Remember, the brave squad in the text had to remove the barriers so that the paralytic could get to Jesus, and that's what we need to do as well with our squad. Work with my squad to remove any barriers. Barriers exist. We encounter all sorts of roofs. Today, any one of a number of factors could be present and are present that allow people to say, you know what, I can't be part of church. No, Christians are too judgmental. I, I, they're not going to accept me. No, no, I, I can't be part of church. I, I've had bad experiences. I, I, I grew up Catholic and I just got burned. No, I, I can't do that. Well, I, I, I'm afraid because I, that's a new experience. I don't know. Can't do that. Oh, you know, a church, that sounds like they'll take up all my time. Like, I'll just, being part of church, like, yeah, I just, I have to give up all my, and all my money, too, and they just, they want to take, they just, those church, those churches just want to take all my money. That's all they want. These are all the barriers, and these are legitimate barriers. These are fears that people have, and our job is not to ridicule people for these fears because we probably have many of these fears and barriers, too. Our job is to work with our squad to remove the barriers, Consider the man who loved NASCAR and wanted to start going to church. But the problem is, is what, what days are, what day are NASCAR races? Sundays. Oh, so he said, I can't go to church. Can't do it. Uh, NASCAR races are on Sunday. That means that I just, I can't make a weekly commitment. So I can't, maybe at some other time in my life, I won't be into NASCAR and I can't but I probably will because NASCAR is great, so like I just can't do church. Oops. Well, there's a lot of workarounds, but one of the easiest workarounds is, hey, you go to some NASCAR races, and guess what's at them before? Look at the next slide. There's church services held before some races. So look, your church comes to you. You can count on the church. The church is the people. We bring Christ to other people. If I'm thinking of that person that I prayed for today that I want to bring Christ to, that doesn't mean I need to like swindle them into coming to church. I need to bring Jesus to them. How can I work? Here's the next question I want us to ask. How can I work with my squad to remove the barriers? They're very real. They're not, there's no shame, there's no guilt, they're not laughable, but they're solvable. These barriers are not the end of the world. They just have to be overcome as a group. Again, we need to remove the roof, any barriers that stand in the way of our non-believing friends being able to know Jesus. It's important to see that the majority of the barriers are small, though. Think of how much easier it is to remove the roof when you have a whole team working together. I think of one of the most profound uh, mentors in my life was when I was 18 years old and I worked in the dish pit of a restaurant. And, oh, that was a fun summer. That was great. Uh, love that. But, so there was this guy, Louie, and we got to accept that he was a big Van Halen fan. Okay, big Van Halen. Jump, right? Uh, what are some other Van Halen songs? Help me out here. Panama. Okay, good. Uh, now, now you're all well-versed. You're experts. Okay. So he was a big Van Halen fan. So he said, he always called me this. He said, you know Diamond Dave? Okay, Diamond Dave, the hardest part of your job isn't washing dishes. It's being intimidated by the stack of dishes. And that was like one-tenth of it. It was awful. And 
people are gross apparently at restaurants because, oh, it was just <laughs> awful. In my head, right, in the, in the week six inches between my two ears. And I'm just like, oh, I got to... I got to leave. This isn't working. So he said, let me help you. So he pulled his tie off. He put on an apron and he got in the dish pit with me. And when we got slammed, he'd help me and some of the other cooks would help me. What was interesting is I assumed, and maybe this was just my kitchen that I worked in, so maybe other kitchen cultures are different, but I always assumed that I was a failure for letting other people into the dish pit. But they said, no, David, it's the opposite. Everyone else who's a dishwasher is so territorial with their dish pit, and they scream and swear at us when we try to help them, and then the whole kitchen gets backed up. We want to help you. It's not a big deal. Let's just work together, because that's what it means to have a squad. The intimidation of the dishes is so much easier to get past when we work together and catch up. Just like in the dish pit, the hardest part of being a bringer isn't bringing anyone to know Jesus and the people of his church. It's being intimidated by the idea of bringing someone to know Jesus and the people of his church, but we have a squad. Remember, it's not about trying to convince someone, oh, I'm going to bamboozle you into bringing someone into this building. We're called to work with our squad to remove the barriers. The building might be a barrier. Maybe we get someone to our Super Bowl party. Maybe we... There's all sorts of different ways to make it real. Being a bringer is about embracing God's vision for my life and letting Him change my perspective. It's not me trying to force my friends into church. God will help and use my squad. We just have to let Him. I can't. God can. I'll let Him. Jesus also doesn't command us to go and therefore and make disciples because it makes us miserable. He knows that lives live focused on him and not on all the worldly distractions. Remember that casual collection of people. We, we, let, the crowd, we let the crowd start to influence us, and, and it's just, it gets weird. It's so much more satisfying when we live the right way and we just let the things of the world go wherever. And so as, as our musicians start to come forward, I want us to look at this last question. How can I use... How can I work with my squad to remove the barriers? How can I use the resources of Faith Community Church to bring Christ to others? Here we are called to be a community of disciples united by a love for Christ. Each of us is called not to go from one end of Mongolia to the other by ourselves with a wagon through the Gobi Desert and sandstorms, but to work together with our squad. Yes, we have to ignore the crowd, and yes, there are barriers, but the barriers are solvable. So, during prayer time today, and I know sometimes it can be really intimidating to, to come forward for prayer at the end of a service, but I want to really challenge you, if you fall into one of two categories today, I'd really love you to come forward. There are going to be some of us um, up here, and if many people come, we'll have more. And, and it's often easy to say, you know what, that's nice for everybody else, but I'm not going to. I really encourage you, let's try it today. If there's no pressure... But maybe we fall into this category. Maybe we say, you know, do I have a squad? Or am I just part of the crowd? And if today you're feeling just like you're part of the crowd, we'd love you to come forward, pray with us, and we'd love to get you connected. The people of the church are amazing. It's not that I'm amazing or Pastor Stan's amazing or, or something like that. The people are amazing. We love each other, we work together, and we care, and we want to continue growing and supporting each other. 
And maybe you fall into the category, maybe you fall into the category of saying, you know, I, I, really, I really hear this, but I would like to, I would like to know more. I would, like to, I would like to bring a friend of mine to know Christ. And maybe you're just not sure how. And we'd love to really have you come forward and to just pray with you and to start brainstorming ways to not bring your friend to church, but to bring the people and to bring Christ to your friend. So let's pray together. You know, Father, we thank you for moving in this place today. We ask that you open our hearts and just allow us to really be open to being outwardly focused and to just really embracing our squad and moving past the crowd and just seeing that the barriers are not a big deal. They're just little. And allow us to be overcomers in our life today and bringers. As we bring Christ, not we bring people into this church building, but we bring Christ to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.